From the heart of the Carolinas, a voice in the wilderness, a thought-provoking broadcast in a world of ignorant nonsense. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? Yes, I guess you're right. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. Good to be back with you the start of another broadcast week. I've been very eager to talk to you today in light of events that finally ended <laughs> the speaker saga. And I have some very important words to communicate at the top of the broadcast. First of all, first and most importantly to you, those of you who are listening to this broadcast. I very much want to thank you just by listening for your commitment to the values of liberty because that's what this is all about I tell people all the time and I'm sure if you listen to this broadcast on a regular basis that's what I believe in I believe in our founding documents and the things that I discuss are very much focused on preserving those liberties and I appreciate the fact that this is a message that is well received by you that many of you not only live these values yourselves but you make those calls those necessary calls to lawmakers you get involved civically and many of you are committed just to be decent human beings to engage your neighbors and to build the kind of community that we all want to live in I want to regarding the speaker's race first and foremost tell you I believe it's a huge victory for American and Americans I remain very skeptical of Kevin McCarthy but I believe that we got the best deal we could possibly get for the American people and I don't think a lot of people understand this at all. We'll talk about this with one of the members of Congress who bravely went out on a limb on this. While many Americans and frankly many Republicans were critical. There are other so-called conservative talk show hosts who are very critical of these folks. And saying that they should have lined up behind Kevin McCarthy and just shut up. I'm glad they didn't we will have a better process because of their bravery and speaking of I want to do a very very loud shout out to brave members of Congress those who descended our heroes who politically risked their own political careers they did to get things for us I don't think they were looking for chairmanships or special treatment for themselves they were fighting for you for their right to represent you as their as your representatives that's what they're supposed to be there for and if they don't even have a voice what is the point of going to Washington in the first place if I might interject here and I've said this plenty of times before one of the big problems happening in Washington DC we're seeing a consolidation of power that the founding fathers never intended not just for the presidency but also for the speaker of the house this position has become way too powerful and I hear people on these talk programs and and I don't mind saying this these these idiot newscasters who don't know crap they don't know anything rattling off about oh is he going to be a weakened speaker now the position needed to be limited these politicians have amassed way too much power way too much and Nancy Pelosi took it to another level so to trim back the power of the speaker's office 
is perfectly appropriate. More power for him or her is less power for you. That's what it amounts to. The people I want to shout out to. Ninth District Congressman Dan Bishop right here in North Carolina. I played for you his speech where he offered the nomination for a new member of Congress, relatively new member of Congress, to be speaker. All along, his purpose has been, again, about values and principles. This has not been a personality contest for anybody. Anybody I've been supporting anyway. And the same thing for Ralph Norman. From the 5th District of South Carolina in the upstate. These two men, they deserve your praise, your commendation. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for these guys. They're relatively new in Congress. And you know what happens to these folks. History has shown the longer they stay, the less conservative they become. I dare to believe these guys are not going to become those people. If you have a moment, seriously, call their offices or send a note just to thank them for standing up away from the pack. I'm also going to warn you, you're going to hear a lot of spin. Democrat talking points, you'll hear some of them. The use of the word extremists. And when I tell you what these folks have won in a bit, you'll understand how silly all of this nonsense is and how how ignorant and in many cases how evil some of these people really are because they know better and they're enabled by the lazy news media folks who don't even bother to research to find out what's really going on here and frankly they don't care because this is about eyeballs this is about ears this is about clicks and sadly I don't say this for attention and to be a smart like but I pray for our republic and the general ignorance that prevails. Because if you have these politicians spouting off this nonsense and you have a mainstream news media which fails to get into the truth, and a lot of people who really are lazy, they're going to gravitate to what is flashy, what is interesting, what is inflammatory. What you have is largely... A profoundly ignorant electorate. I hope we can, as Walter Williams used to say, help to push back the frontiers of ignorance. We all have to do this together. They have no idea what's going on here. And so the narrative that is put out there by the mainstream news media, by, frankly, unprincipled people, hateful people, people with an agenda to tear down the republic well they win the day just based on really gravity <laughs> that's what happens here it's just so easy for lies to get traction isn't it coming up we're going to have a conversation with one of those members of congress that i mentioned we'll talk about what you have won that's what's important here what you have won this is not a political game. This is about the Republic. And we'll cover all of it as we continue our Monday broadcast. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program. If you'd like to join the conversation, the GS Plumbing Talk Line, 800-928-1110. 800-928-1110. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. So what have these holdouts, who held out pretty much to the last minute, what have they won for us? That's the key thing. Not for you, for us. 
Here's an example. Reported by Newsweek. One lawmaker can trigger a speakership election. Newsweek says McCarthy's tenure could prove to be an unstable one after he accepted the key concession to restore the ability of a single House member to call a no-confidence vote in the Speaker. Remember when Mark Meadows did this several years ago? To get rid of John Boehner? Under McCarthy's predecessor, California Democrat Nancy Pelosi, a rule change was introduced that meant a motion to vacate could advance by direction of a party caucus or conference, meaning a party's leadership. This move will allow McCarthy's critics to pursue a vote to remove him and replace him. This would make this process much simpler. Motions to vacate are rare and have been attempted only twice in the House of Representatives. 1910 and 2015. So I want you to understand, folks, this is rare that this happens. So for someone like Nancy Pelosi to panic as she did and get rid of this, it shows what the true intent is. It's to hold on to power. This has been in place, folks, for a long time. For a long time. Over a hundred years. Probably longer. Limits on spending. See, I love how Newsweek writes. I mean, this is just idiocy. How this is written. Hardline conservatives have long been concerned about the extent of federal spending, believing it's now unstable. Who in the right mind does not think our federal spending is unstable? This is not a hardline conservative position. This is a rational position. Anyway. Holdouts demand that McCarthy should commit to cutting budget spending with any vote to increase the vote ceiling. Yes. On the debt ceiling. They want this tied. Spending cuts to the debt ceiling conversation. Aren't they related? You better believe it. Is this some right-wing extremist position? No, this is a common sense position. According to The Hill, Representative Chip Roy said it's safe to say we believe there ought to be specific, concrete limits on spending attached well, to a debt ceiling increase. But the move could result in large cuts to defense spending, a reduction that could lead to a backlash among Republican hawks. Yada, 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 yada. How concerned, how terribly concerned they are. <laughs> do, do, you, do you get the tone even in this? These are not serious people. They're not serious at all about getting to the truth. It's really unfortunate. Next concession, more subcommittee roles for hardliners. This just cracks me up. While McCarthy hasn't publicly announced any holdouts on more subcommittee roles, several wanted to extend their influence. According to the BBC, Andy Harris of Maryland has expressed interest in chairing the health subcommittee that controls a large amount of government spending and switched his support to McCarthy on Friday. Should McCarthy spurn loyal supporters in favor of holdouts, this could result in his own base becoming disillusioned with his speakership and weaken him further. So by pleasing McCarthy, McCarthy pleasing Harris, giving him a subcommittee role, he might knock somebody out of position who already supported him. <sighs> this is just silly. Another concession, weaponization of federal government subcommittee. A key, key command of McCarthy's detractors was to be given powers to review ongoing criminal investigations. I have a question for you. What is part of Congress's job in regard to all of the other operations of government? Oversight, right? This is a no-brainer. The panel would be created amid ongoing arrests connected to the January 6th riot of the Capitol and criminal investigations into former President Donald Trump. Subcommittee members will be able to investigate executive branch agencies and pursue issues they believe violate the civil liberties of any U.S. citizen. Duh! Is this not what they should be doing anyway? And this is something that people refer to as an act of extremists. Do you see what I'm talking about, folks? Last but not least, changes to House procedure and term limit vote. 
a less controversial demand extracted by Republican hardliners. See, I, you know, if I were in charge of Newsweek, I would tell them you have to get rid of all of this language, all of it. Well, before I told them you cannot write like this, I would tell them, I would ask the question, what is a hardliner? Explain that to me. And I guarantee you they don't have a good answer. They probably don't have a good answer. I can guarantee you they don't have a good answer. They don't know what they're talking about. Anyway, get a load of this. This is what the hardliners want. Members should have 72 hours to review bills before they're voted on in the House. Now, can you tell me? Now, I want you, if you're a person who disagrees with this, I want you to text or call me right now and tell me how horrible and right-wing and extremist this is and how this makes members of Congress terrorists for pushing for this. Hardliners, here it is again. Also, you know the other thing about this, this language? It's lazy. It's lazy. Hardliners also extracted a floor vote to establish term limits for all House members. Again, how many, within the sound of my voice, don't want to vote on term limits? Currently, representatives serve two-year terms and are allowed to be elected, re-elected indefinitely, as long as they have the support of their constituents. So that, folks, is the list of concessions. You tell me which one of those is extreme. I'd love to hear it. (laughs) This is just insane, folks. Still to come in the broadcast, I promise we will get to your texts and your calls along the way. And we'll also have a conversation with one of those brave members of Congress. Also, you're going to hear an apology. Remember one of the members of Congress who called these folks, these dissenters, terrorists? Well, he's actually had the good grace to apologize. And I respect the heck out of him for it. You're going to hear that. What does McCarthy think about this? We will hear his thoughts. And much more as we continue our Monday broadcast. Folks, we've got some things to be encouraged about. And I hope you are. At the end of the day, this is not about personalities. This is about the republic. Solidifying this republic. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program, you heard before the break... I mentioned a couple of brave members of Congress who really did go out on a limb. I mean, think about it. Over 200 of their colleagues standing with Kevin McCarthy. They're ready to go. And here are these holdouts who've been profoundly vilified for day after day after day after day. And one of those folks who... Bravely stood strong is joining us now on the broadcast a person. I'm very honored to consider a friend representative Dan Bishop from the 9th district of North Carolina. Good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast Dan. Good morning fans and I'm honored to be your friend. So thank you very much for having me on your air. Well, I first have to ask you how do you feel today about the the final solution to this this speaker saga? I feel fantastic about where we've ended up, although I must emphasize that we're not done. We've got the rule package that we know that we negotiated as part of the overall overall agreement 
that is to be enacted today on the or this evening on the floor of the House. I mean, some people were squawking about it, about to see whether it attracts 218 votes or more. I, I anticipate that it will. Uh, and then we're going to actually got some more implementation after that. So the task is not over, but it's a, it has worked out to be a fantastic beginning to a Republican majority in Congress that will deliver for the American people. You know, uh, Dan, I cannot help but to think about Ronald Reagan's uh, words he communicated about dealing with the Soviets. I'm sure you remember this. What did he say? Trust, but verify. verify. And that's exactly what you guys are doing right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, uh, and Vince, I'm, you, you were kind to say nice things about what we did. And as you, you're very correct, the, the conservatives that, has, that have vilified us, you know, I don't care about that stuff, Vince. Uh, I, uh, I only, I've gone, <laughs> it was a surprise that I ended up going to Washington in 2019. I'm not going to spend decades up here. I see no purpose in sitting there to be an adornment or an ornament and just do nothing. When the, and, and, and I cannot imagine anyone who looks at the state of the United States government and does not say something's got to change. And so that's what we did. We, we, it's amazing that the media, including conservatives, a lot of conservatives like uh, Mark Levin, for example, who attacked yep. us. Very disappointed in Mark Levin on, over this yeah, Mark, entire Mark matter. Mark Levin, who, who wants to have the Article 5 convention to alter the Constitution, but believes we can't possibly take the risk of spending a couple of days before we coronate Kevin McCarthy as speaker. I, I don't get it. But, but with, with debt ballooning to the point, we don't know, you know, it looks impossible. Inflation, southern border in chaos, crime overrunning cities. It, it's just not, you can't just continue to go and do the same thing you've done, the same way you've done it, and drift along. So I'm really pleased with the agreement that worked out. I'm pleased that we're able to come together. I'm happy, frankly, that many members of Congress are lauding the result, even though they were not inclined to be with us when 20 said we would stand. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was listening to an interview we're going to play a little bit later on from one of your colleagues who said that he was convinced that the things that you guys have been fighting for, they were already trusting Kevin to deliver those things. How do you respond to that? Well, this way. Kevin McCarthy, I have no animosity to Kevin McCarthy. He's a it's very likable person. But Kevin has been in leadership in the Republican conference for 14 years. And he, he today describes the three major threats to the United States. He talks about our debt, China, and I can't forget the third one. I saw a video, if you can go on YouTube and see it, when he was speaking to the Bakersfield, California uh, Tea Party Republicans in 2011. He said the same thing, and those are the and, and on every one of those threats, they've become more severe, worse, not better during the 14 years he's been in leadership. So, on what basis do, could you anticipate that he was going to suddenly make progress as speaker when he hasn't been able to as part of the leadership? Uh, now he may have; it's conceivable, but I don't think that was something that would qualifies my doing my due diligence, my meeting my fiduciary obligations to voters to just assume that that would occur in, in contravention to all of the historical data. Yep, it, it makes sense. This is one of the reasons why we uh, very repeatedly uh, give liberty scores of members of Congress, and, and for the record, Kevin McCarthy has an F. So, you know, for all the rhetoric, rhetoric doesn't matter. What matters is how you vote, and if you're in leadership, what kind of leadership do you show? And and on both counts, it's been abysmal. Uh, and I think what you're trying to do I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be kind here. Is you're trying to help make chicken soup out of chicken crap? I mean, that's it's, that's really what we're looking at here, isn't it? Uh, you're you're not, you know. Obviously, the conference was not going to support another candidate. You're just trying to make the best of this situation with the person that uh, most people are agreeing on. Um, I, I believe that's a, a fair and accurate description of it. 
events. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm sensitive to the point that I had lots of people, but some good friends who texted me on my phone and said, you're uh, the tail wagging the dog, you're an obstructionist, whatever. And so I say the proof's in the pudding. Uh, if, we were, if we've come to an agreement that we lacked before, that the conference overwhelmingly agrees with, even just the rules changes that we began working on last summer and nobody would talk to us about until after the election. And frankly, they never would have talked to us about them after the election either. Yep. You're right. Except for the fact that there was a five vote margin of. of, uh, Yes, they needed you uh, in in the chamber. They needed it. And so all this has been done. But everybody should remember that. But for the 20, none of it would be done. Yep. Not Um, one rule change. I'm with you. I am completely with you on this. If they could get away with business as usual, they would do it. This is how Washington operates. Uh, We are, um, unfortunately, at the end of our time, but I I cannot, Dan Bishop, I cannot thank you enough and those who have stood with you. And and again, when I watched that speech after the broadcast on Friday and I heard you uh, deliver that speech on the floor. I, I, I've never seen that Dan Bishop before. I hope we see more of that in the coming days. And we want to know we're going to be praying for you. And uh, we hope everything goes well. And thanks very much for bringing the fight to Washington for us. Uh, thanks Definitely for coming on. your prayers, Vince. Definitely need the prayers. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you, Congressman Dan Bishop, who represents the 9th Congressional District here in North Carolina. Um, I, it's not every day I give compliments like that. I just don't. And I'm, this is not, doesn't constitute an endorsement or anything like that. But you've heard, I've already told you what these folks have won and they've won it for you, not for themselves. That's very important. Love to get your thoughts as we continue the broadcast. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan Bishop, who is just an all-around good guy. I want to say something else about the other members of Congress, because it's a mixed bag. There are some other very solid conservatives who did not participate in this fight I want you to know, I don't think any less of those folks. And frankly, you know, there's an argument here that they, it really wasn't necessary for more people to get involved. As Dan was describing, this, the 20, that was enough. Four was really enough to keep this thing from just snowballing along to the point where Kevin McCarthy would just go in and do business as usual, and which I'm convinced he would have done otherwise. He didn't have any reason to. Do you hear Dan Bishop say they've been trying to get these rules changed? They've tried to have conversations about this for a while. Nobody wanted to talk about it until they needed their votes. <sighs> don't fool yourself, folks. These are not trustworthy people. I don't trust Kevin McCarthy any further than I can throw him. Frankly, any further than I can reach him. <laughs> I don't trust the guy. I really don't. Wake up, Vince. This republic became a corporation in the late 1800s, and you are still a slave, and we are all slaves. Boy, that really makes you feel good, doesn't it? England called the patriots rebels and terrorists as well. Yes, they did. Vince, as long as we the people do not exercise our power and authority to vote out those who usurp power, it will continue to centralize. Yes, yes, yes. Every bill should be read in full on the House floor into the congressional record before it can be voted on. Wouldn't you expect the bills to become more concise and with less hidden pork? You better believe it, which is why they don't want to do that. They don't have any interest in being straightforward about what they're doing. What else do we have here? Vince, we are so thankful for the hold outstanding firm. They truly did go out on a, on a limb to make sure Congress is playing by the rules and following the Constitution. Pelosi definitely destroyed all of that. See, and have you heard any criticism 
of this power-hungry woman in what she did. See, I don't care if you agree with what was voted on or not voted on during the time she was in power. The fact that she consolidated power usurped so much power. It's an affront to all Americans. That needs to be understood. See, what I this is what this ought to be a headline. But you're not going to hear this conversation, are you? Republicans are in power and I want to restrain them. Can Democrats say the same thing? Do they want to restrain? See, I want to restrain everybody. So they are not able to do things because what they will do, the more they do, the more they're capable of doing, the more they will violate the Constitution and your rights. Can you ask if anyone has apologized to them for calling them names? I did see an interview with one person where he made an apology for calling them terrorists. And you're going to hear that in a bit. I don't normally like to talk about other talk show hosts. I have the most utmost respect for Mark Levin. He has been so profoundly wrong on this. And, you know, I, it being disagreeing is one thing. He was over the top. It was ugly. I had to turn it off. I, I'm not quite sure I understand where he was. And this, this texture says, not a fan. His ego is way overblown. Thinks he's Rush. <laughs> um, if you don't think Donald Trump had some influence on these 20 holdouts, you are sadly mistaken. Donald Trump called for Kevin McCarthy to be elected speaker. I don't trust McCarthy either. I feel he is a globalist. This person saying Jeffrey's speech was absolutely disgusting and that it was. I want to quickly get to a couple of things before we get to the break. The texter made reference to a member of Congress, and I so respect this member of Congress for what he did. He's issued an apology for calling his fellow Republicans terrorists. This is Dan Crenshaw making an appearance on CNN's State of the Union. Listen up. You opened up with the whole terrorist comments. So I do have to address that. Please. Right? Um, look, th- things get heated and things get said. Uh, obviously, to the people who took offense by that, it's pretty obvious that it's meant as a turn of phrase in the. In it's the a con- metaphor. It's, not- it's in the context of intransient negotiations. I look. I, I've got pretty thick skin. I'm called awful, vile things by the, kind of the very same wing of the party that 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 I'm fighting. I was fighting at that moment, so I, I was a little taken aback by. By the uh, sensitivity, yeah, by the sensitivity of it. But um, to the extent that I had colleagues that were that were offended by it, I sincerely apologize to them. I don't want them to think I actually believe they're terrorists. It's clearly a turn of phrase that you use in what is an intransient negotiation. And I accept his apology. By the way, you should know Dan Crenshaw has a seventy-four Liberty score. Still kind of acceptable in my book. It's a C. <laughs> So uh, I, I, I'm not interested in looking to make an enemy out of someone who uh, is with us a good part of the time. Still to come, McCarthy's reaction and much more as we continue our Monday broadcast. Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From the heart of the Carolinas, a breath of fresh air, a voice of reason, this is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. All right, folks, welcome to hour number two of the broadcast We will get to more of the McCarthy stuff a little bit later on. But I want to uh, look ahead to the future. And I know this can be kind of wearying at times because it seems like campaigns are going on nonstop. It's just absolutely crazy, isn't it? But I, one of the things I like to do on this program, and again, I make clear, I'm not endorsing anybody. But I do like to introduce you to people I have come to love and respect. Years ago, we were represented here in the 9th District. In fact, it's the seat that Dan Bishop now has. 
uh, by um, a woman I, I got to know who was uh, representing the 9th District, Sue Myrick. You may remember, former Charlotte mayor. She served in Congress for a while, and the person who uh, worked for her, um, I ended up meeting uh, this gentleman who we're about to talk to, and uh, he's worked for Sue Myrick. He worked for our uh, former lieutenant um, governor um, and is now deciding to take another very significant step. So I want to welcome back to this broadcast, maybe to this broadcast for the first time, Hal Weatherman, who is joining us. Good morning, Hal. Uh, welcome. That's how are you, brother? Hey, doing very well, very well. Uh, you made a very significant announcement. What is it that you are uh, venturing into now? <laughs> well, time will tell on that front. But, no, I, I did uh, formally announce that uh, when Mark Robinson uh, leaves the lieutenant governor's job to, to seek the governorship, which seems to be inevitable, um, that I am going to pursue the office myself of lieutenant governor in 2024. And you're right, it, it feels like campaigns go on, you know, all the time. But, you know, for our standpoint, the midterms are over. It's a new year. It's a very large state. Um, and, you know, we're only 12, 12 and a half months away from the next primary. And so, uh, and that uh, clearly we'll probably have a primary for the office. And so we're hitting the ground running. We just launched a 100-county tour uh, to launch. I did three counties last week. I think we're doing four counties this week. And we're going to attempt to cover all 100 counties in the first quarter of this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I served as lieutenant, the former lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest, who is actually Sue Myrick's son. A lot of people don't know that connection. You know, I worked for the Myrick Forrest family for um, a, a good many years. I believed in them. Um, I consider Sue Myrick my, I call her my second mom, and I consider Dan the brother I never had. But I was Sue's chief of staff for a number of years. Uh, and then also Dan Force's chief of staff as well. But I, I just think there comes a time where you, know, you kind of want to do it yourself. Um, and uh, the the seat's going to come open. My wife and I, my family, uh, very prayerful about the decision. And um, and we want to get busy getting busy serving the people of this state. And so uh, I want to earn people's support the old-fashioned way. I want to take the race to them. Uh, that's why we're launching the 100-county tour. I'll go ahead and say when, when we ran... I ran Dan Force's first race for lieutenant governor, which is a very improbable victory. Um, Dan was only the second Republican since 1896 who was elected to that position. So when we started off that race, it was, you know, uphill all the way. But we rolled up our sleeves, and it's going to be the same thing I do in this race. Went to all 100 counties. We did, did over 300,000 miles worth of travel uh, in that election. Went to all 100 counties multiple times. And uh, since then, I've probably logged another 200,000 miles. Um, around the state. I love the state. I love the state. I love the people of the state. And uh, I'm just looking forward to getting out there and campaigning and meeting people and hear what they have to say and share my, what I call my vision for the state. Well, let's talk about that vision. Uh, we're talking with a man who would like to be Lieutenant Governor of the state of North Carolina, Hal Weatherman. I, what is your governing philosophy? What is it you would like to do? What is, what is your... Um, your set of principles and ideas? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I'm a believer. Um, I don't wear my faith on my sleeve, but I don't, I don't shy away from it as well. Um, I'm a limited government, constitutional principle, conservative, fiscal, and social. So there's going to be no surprises um, in terms of how I would represent if you understand those principles. You know, I believe, um, I believe in old-fashioned ideals, uh, things that built this country that have now been kind of marginalized, things like self-sufficiency, thrift, hard work, love thy neighbor, uh, home ownership, free enterprise, capitalism, you know, all of the above, all the things that our schools aren't teaching anymore. And uh, But I'll tell you the driving force behind why I'm seeking the office of lieutenant governor. A lot of people know lieutenant governor serves um, on the State Board of Education uh, for North Carolina, but also on the Board of Community Colleges system-wide board. Uh, for North Carolina. And from those two positions, I think the lieutenant governor has a unique opportunity um, to drive people into the trades. And it's a passion of mine. Um, I want to fundamentally remove the stigma that our society has unfairly put on people who work with their hands, plumbers, welders, uh, HVAC workers. Um, 
I, I'm at the age now, I'm in my early 50s, I'm at the age now where I have young people come to me and say, Mr. Weatherman, you know, what, what should I do for a career? And I, I ask them the same thing every time. Do you want to be an entrepreneur? Nine times out of ten, they say yes. I mean, do you want to have people that work for you? And they're like, yes. I'm like, do you, uh, do you want to make six figures a year? Yes. Do you want to build something that maybe 10, 15 years down the road you can turn around and sell for seven figures? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, go be a plumber. And, you know, we, we've got this stigma attached to it. Uh, then when it's time for, you know, parents when their kids are getting ready to go to college, it's like, well, that's for somebody else, not for me. And I think it, I, I think it does a great disservice. I think there's obviously a huge worker shortage uh, around this country and interstate right now. And we need to be driving people into the trades because there's honor and dignity into it. And, you know, the driving force behind why I feel that is I do believe that man was put on this earth to work. That A man finds respect in work. He finds dignity in work. He passes along to the next generation, his kids, um, ideals and values by them watching him or her provide for their family. And so I want to drive self-sufficiency uh, in everything that I do. A lot of that comes from my biblical worldview, but I, I don't want people to be dependent on anyone or any one thing. I want them to go out and provide for themselves. And so I want to do that. I, part of that would be um, increasing uh, the apprenticeship, uh, enhancing the apprenticeship program. North Carolina has an apprenticeship program. To be honest, it's very clunky. It's cumbersome. It's not user-friendly. It's not well-advertised. And other states do it better. Georgia, Texas, South Carolina does an amazing job with apprenticeships. I want North Carolina to be number one in apprenticeships. Um, and I think that will help drive people in the, into the trades and, and fields they otherwise you know, wouldn't know about. The other thing I want to do, and I won't ramble on about policies, I want to take that same vision of self-sufficiency of the individual, and I want to put it into our governing philosophy of the state itself. I want North Carolina to be self-sufficient. And I'll give you one idea of many. Um, but I'll give you one idea. Uh, Dan, a $25 are, billion dollar budget in this state. Are you able to hold do the, do the break, Dan? Um, this, this is really, I mean, how, I'm so sorry. I'm it's losing my mind here. Uh, we are, we are right up against a hard break. Can you hold on through the break, Hal? And, and, Cause I'd love to hear, make sure we hear these ideas. These are so important folks because, I mean, this is the beginning of a conversation looking ahead to 2024 and an opportunity for us to take the time. Figure these things out so you don't go running into the booth. Who the heck is this? Well, you're going to know at least one person who is running for the office. And we will continue that conversation with Hal Weatherman right here on the Vince Coakley radio program. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program on this Monday. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we're having a conversation with Hal Weatherman, who would like to be the next lieutenant governor of North Carolina. It's kind of interesting as we're talking about trades. I am in my situation, uh, a situation right now at home. I came home the other night to find that a whole wall of outlets of mine not working. You know, did the usual thing, you know. Uh, went to the breaker box. Uh, nothing's working. So I'm going to have to call an electrician. I'm going to be very curious to find out what that bill is going to be. It's not going to be chump change. I'm just guessing. And Hal Weatherman is right with the idea he's communicating here about encouraging more people to get into trades, which is uh, very much not just respectable, but these jobs are jobs we desperately need in our society to keep things going. And he wants to also take the same approach that we're discussing about getting people in the trades and apply this to government. How Weatherman, um, I want to give you the time now to develop what you were wanting to communicate about the operation of state government. Yeah, it's just the same philosophy of self-sufficiency that I would like to um, you know, empower people to have in the personal life. I would like for our state to be self-sufficient as well. And again, I have a lot of policy, you know, proposals on this, but I'll give you one um, in the interest of time. I would love to go, if I'm your lieutenant governor, I'm going to go through every line of the state budget. I'm going to go through every contract that the state of North Carolina lets, regardless of what agency it comes out of. 
and I would like to steer those contracts and those uh, expenditures first, and you know, first and foremost to North Carolina homegrown companies. You know, we talk all the time. You hear people talk about buying American, of course, right? I mean, we should buy from America, not from China. I'd like to take it one step further and say, let's buy North Carolina. We have a twenty-five billion dollar budget. We have an eight billion dollar surplus. We have one of the largest GDPs in the world. We're the ninth, soon to be the eighth largest state in the union. If we just put our money where our mouth is and keep our homegrown money here at home, think of what that could do for our state, especially some of our rural. We have 75 counties that are rural. I'd love to create rural opportunity zones where we're basically steering these contracts to people here, mom-and-pop companies here. Um, It just makes perfect sense to me. Uh, But, again, it's to be self-sufficient as a state. And um, and so these are some of the philosophies. I tell, I tell you, too, if people want to know more of what, about what I believe, kind of my vision for the state as I begin this quest for lieutenant governor, uh, then go to my website. It's HalWeatherman4NC.com, HalWeatherman, uh, F-O-R-N-C.com. And uh, I've succinctly written why I'm running, my vision for the state. And, um, and so, I, you know, I encourage people to do that. But I think self-sufficiency is the key, right? And, you know, it's hard. Some of the things we were talking about earlier, it's hard, right, because our school systems aren't really teaching the ideals that built this country, more or less encouraging people to work with their hands, right? They're not doing that. They're, unfortunately, in many instances, teaching very radical ideologies and seem to be more concerned about about teaching these, um, what I would call, woke philosophies rather than the basics, the basic building blocks of preparing our kids for the future, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, science. I'd like to expand that to financial literacy. <laughs> That's a good one. Book, right? Absolutely. How Weatherman, a uh, lot of good ideas there and things that would certainly uh, benefit people's lives individually and and um, absolutely state government if these kinds of things were ever implemented and promoted. Uh, very much appreciate you coming on the broadcast. I've appreciated your work over the years, and uh, we certainly wish you the best for uh, your campaign in the future. Thank you, Vince. Appreciate you. Hal Weatherman, and I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more from him, possibly coming to a town near you here in North Carolina. Love to get your thoughts and what he has communicated. Over on the text line, discussing what we've gone through thus far, Vince apologizing for calling the congressman terrorists is all well and good, but remember, you cannot unring a bell. The damage is done. In reference to Dan Crenshaw, another person saying, I was not too impressed with that that apology. Then again, I'm not too impressed with him. I do not think it sounded too sincere. (laughs) It was wrong of him to say what he did. Maybe I missed that part, but I did not hear him say where he should have chosen his words more wisely. Jeff, I'm just giving him (laughs) an E for effort because there are a lot of people who wouldn't have even bothered. So I, I think my instinct on this guy i you know i should need to ask some of my friends who are in washington who are in congress what they think but i tend to think this guy is a pretty good guy um i hope so i hope so i quickly want to get to some other things this time it's just zipping by so quickly uh kevin mccarthy's own reaction to this you know i told you a lot of people I uh, feel like he's going to be a weekend speaker. You're going to hear a lot of this. This will be repeated over and over and over. Um, here is what Kevin McCarthy had to say about how this thing has played out. Listen up. And I think by having the disruption now, really built the trust with one another and learned how to work together. Okay, that's his take. By the way, did you see that almost brawl on the House floor? This is after (laughs) it looked like uh, Kevin McCarthy's bid to become speaker was going down again. Here's what happened. Tim Burchett is now calling Representative Mike Rogers a redneck after he lunged at Matt Gaetz at the House floor. Burchett suggested Rogers had been drinking prior to the ball. The brawl didn't provide any evidence on this. But he said his colleague should not have crossed the line. He called Mike Rogers a redneck. That's pretty strong stuff. 
C-SPAN cameras captured Mike Rogers of Alabama lunging at Matt Gates and being restrained by Representative Richard Hudson right here in North Carolina after Gates had what appeared to be a tense exchange with Kevin McCarthy. You can see this, the video of this online. Birch had actually told CNN's Kate Sullivan about this incident. People shouldn't be drinking, especially when you're a redneck on the House floor. He did not provide evidence or elaborate on why he believed Rogers had been drinking prior to the incident. <laughs> Birch had said about Rogers, I would drop him like a bag of dirt. Nobody's going to put their hands on me. Nobody's going to threaten me. <laughs> Birch had went on to say it was an unfortunate moment and Rogers shouldn't have crossed the line. Rogers, by the way, not surprisingly, a McCarthy supporter, confronted Gates after his vote helped to sink McCarthy's 14th effort to be elected speaker. He was eventually elected during the 15th round. There was a little bit of drama on the House floor. By the way, and we're going to get to this, uh, the narrative you're going to hear, you're going to hear this narrative from the Democrats. It's the same stuff. It doesn't stop. And they want to keep tying this back to January 6th because they think this is a winner for them. Coming up, you're going to hear what one member of Congress has to say and what this whole speaker drama shows, what it demonstrates about who these Republicans are. And see how they compare us with the facts that you now know about what's been accomplished. That much more as we continue. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program. Oh, my goodness. Boy, do I have a bombshell of a story to tell you about. Are you ready for this? Remember I told you about that confrontation on the House floor? I'm looking at this picture now of Richard Hudson from right here in North Carolina. I think he represents the 8th District of North Carolina. There's a picture of him restraining Mike Rogers. He's basically behind him and has his hand uh, kind of his finger over his mouth, holding him back from going after Matt Gates. This happened on the House floor Friday night. Are you ready for this story? <laughs> I'm also going to tell you Mike Rogers' liberty score. Get a load of this. Mike Rogers is preparing to step down from a powerful House Republican panel that decides committee assignments for conference members after not this, this is important, but a series of confrontations with conservatives who prolonged Kevin McCarthy's speakership fight. This has been going on for a while. This makes a lot more sense. This has been bubbling over. Rogers confirmed the plan this morning, say what likely happened later this week while underscoring his departure from the GOP steering committee is not finalized and he's not being encouraged by his colleagues to exit. <laughs> yeah, right. Should Rogers do as planned, his region's members would meet to elect a new representative, a longtime critic of certain conservative members, particularly the House Freedom Caucus, which tells me a lot. Rogers made his frustration playing on national TV late Friday night as McCarthy's push for the top gavel faltered in the final moments of a dramatic 14th ballot. As the GOP leader fell one vote short of the speakership, Rogers approached Representatives Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert on the House floor in what some viewed as a menacing manner, pointing in the conservative duo's direction. While Rogers advanced on Gates and Boebert, Representative Richard Hudson grabbed the Alabamian from behind to pull him back, sparking worries of physical fight might have erupted on the floor if not for Hudson's intervention. Nevertheless, Gates and Rogers appeared to have patched things up by Sunday. Now, he said, Gates and I have a long and productive working relationship, and I'm sure we'll continue. I regret I briefly lost my temper on the House floor Friday evening and appreciate Matt's kind understanding. That's what he tweeted out 
after Gates also publicly shared he forgives Rogers and doesn't think he should face any reprisal for that moment. So, I thought you should know this, and I think this is awesome. I say good riddance. This is not personal. You need to understand this is not personal. By the way, you want to know Mike Rogers' Liberty score? It's a freaking 61. A 61. This is how the breakdown of conservative review. <laughs> this is crazy. Conservative votes 28. Liberal votes 18. Missed votes 4. Liberty score of 61. We can do without this. We can do better. And again, I ask you, if, if there was such a thing like this, if there was such a thing like this, like the Liberty score for Democrats, do you think they would have people with F's and D's in the leadership? Not a chance. Not a chance, folks. I'm just saying. This is a very good development, for sure. DeMar Hamlin, by now you know, he tweeted out, putting love into the world comes back three times as much. Thankful for everyone who has reached out and prayed. This will make me stronger on the road to recovery. Keep praying for me. And that we will do. We celebrate every, every victory as this man recovers and hopefully gets back to the game that he loves. Also, as you know, we have President Joe Biden, who is very eager to position himself well for 2024, paying a visit to the border. Breitbart reporting on this, about him tweeting an image of his first ever border visit on Sunday that featured part of the wall or border fence in El Paso, Texas, after he and his party shut down President Donald Trump's border wall. He ran in 2020 on a promise to build not another foot of Trump's border project. After Democrats refused to fund it in 2019, claimed it was motivated by racism, the desire to keep brown or black people out. So Biden halted construction of the high bollard fencing Trump had been building along the wall. Though the Biden administration later quietly filled in some gaps that had been left behind. Yet now we've got thousands of migrants pouring across the border daily, millions entering the U.S. often illegally since he took office. So Biden came under pressure to visit the border for the first time in half century of politics. That's a long time. He chose to tweet an image of himself doing so from the official presidential account flanked by Border Patrol officers and walking along the fence that exists in El Paso, one of the most secure points on the border, of course. There was also an irony in Biden using Border Patrol agents as props in a photo. He has still refused to apologize for claiming falsely in 2021 agents were using whips to beat Haitian migrants. Remember that narrative? As you know, they were later exonerated. Biden had never previously visited the border, despite false White House claims to the contrary. He was once in a motorcade that drove near the border also in El Paso during the 20, 2008 presidential campaign for a few miles. Good reporting there by Joel Pollack about the truth. And I'm just going to tell you, the Democrats and Joe Biden are going to do everything they can to try to position Joe Biden as a centrist. He is not a centrist. He's a leftist. And you need to understand, too, as we've talked about before, this whole left-right thing, which is a joke, this scale, everybody, well, just about everybody, has been moving left in recent years. That's what you need to understand. The Republican Party has been moving left for quite some time. This is why you're driven mad. Because the cancer of progressivism has not only infected the Democrat Party, it's also, in fact, to the Republican Party, which is why it's very important that you do your due diligence on all these candidates who are running, especially in these local races, because a lot of times they're running in these local races. First off, the work that's done locally is most important. Second off, 
Many times, these folks are running for office to position themselves for future offices. So, you do not want to participate in helping to advance someone who is going to be a problem in the future. <laughs> it's really that simple. Still to come on the broadcast, we will take a look at the day in history. And uh, we're open to your continued calls and texts on this broadcast. That's what we do every day. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Boy, this text line... Oh, my goodness. This texture says, Mark Robinson for governor, Howell Weatherman for lieutenant governor. Yes, that would be a very interesting combination. Would it not? Let us see what else we have here. Um, I'm trying to be safe here. Make sure I don't <laughs> allow anything really crazy to get on the air. Speaking of liberty scores, unless you're for getting rid of the Fed, the income tax, IRS, and all laws limiting our Second Amendment rights, your liberty score should be zero. Ooh. See, one of the problems is we don't get votes on these things, do we? Like the Fed. That's a big one. I, I'll tell you one person who would love to take... I, I know two people I know for sure would take votes on the Fed issue. Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. They would be right with you. There's no question about that. Just putting that out there. The saying that fits concerning McCarthy, especially Democrats, give them an inch. They will take a mile in regard to all things government and our constitutional rights. They want control and their actions prove it. Yes, that's what this is all about. Vince, so Mr. Magoo positioning himself for running in 2024. What's he got to run on besides being an old and mindless person who's a puppet to the anti-american globalists that's from jeff go figure time for us to take a look at the day in history and we have producer chris with us how are you doing today man hey how are you vance hey doing pretty good what, what did he really say in that email he didn't say person what did he really say um you can email it to me i'm, I, I'm just yeah, curious yeah i I saw the reference, and I wasn't sure what it meant, so I did not use it. So maybe you can shed some light on it. I'm sure it me. wasn't derogatory. It wasn't terribly derogatory, but I just want to make sure. You can never be too sure in this business. Total of eight questions today, beginning in 1493 with this explorer who mistaked manatees for mermaids. Just think of the year that it was. and He also was. mistook uh, natives for Indians. Who Chris was this Columbus. Guy? Columbus is absolutely correct. 1788, this became the fifth state. I was trying to think of something that distinguished this place. If you're from this state, I apologize in advance because I, I just don't see much that's that exciting. It's known as the Constitution State, the Nutmeg State, the Provision State, and the Land of Steady Habits. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Here, even now, its cliches are kind of boring. Kind um, of kind of boring. And let me give you another hint. I'll tell you the capital. Okay. Is that too much? No, well, it's, I'm going to know if you tell me the capital, but I, but I want to know it, so tell me. Hartford. Connecticut. Yeah, it's Connecticut, so I'm just trying to be helpful here. 1908, this count announced he was going to build an airship to carry 100 passengers. Uh, another hint... The Count, his last name, is part of the name of a music group that does hard rock, I believe. Oh, I'm not. The only Count I know is Dracula, and that wasn't his thing. It's Zeppelin. Oh, okay. So there Zeppel was a Count Zeppelin? I didn't know that. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I, I'll just move on from there. It's, it's kind of funny, isn't it? 1924... The big automaker of its time, its stock value, hit a billion dollars in 1924. Can you believe that? These folks were rolling in dough. Which motor company? Was it Ford again? It's Ford. You're absolutely right. I'm learning a lot about Ford. 
That's amazing. Stock value hitting a billion dollars in 1924. A lot of people went to this woman for advice when she was around. The first column with that was addressed this way was printed in 1956. And uh, there was a song even written about her. What were the things, how did the people who wrote to her address her? Dear Abby. Dear Abby. And are you talking about the John Prine song? Yeah, 15 years later. <laughs> That's so awesome, such an awesome reference. 15 years later. Pretty amazing. 1956 is when that started. The Lakers, they had a 33-game win streak. But one famous basketball star ended it. He worked. He played for the Milwaukee Bucks. Who was that guy mm. who brought this win streak to an end? Let's see. I'm going to let you tell me because I, that way I can find out. He has three honest. names. World be free. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, oh, okay. I guess they he said the guy that the uh, broke the streak, let's go get him, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 2001, big year, and this is the year that Apple launched this product. It really changed music forever. I mean, I mean, when I started off, I was buying records. Uh, now we're buying things online. And uh, this particular company, Apple, they've got to have their own service. 2001 is when they did it. The iPod. Uh, well, what is their their music service? Oh, called? iTunes. iTunes, you're correct. It, it really revolutionized the way we consume music. And speaking of <laughs> these products, Steve Jobs, he unveiled the very first product of its type. Uh, you may have one. So many people have them, spend a fortune on them to uh, mostly text what was unveiled in 2007, revolutionized smartphone. Uh, what was what was Steve Jobs' product? Oh, why? The, the, the Jobs phone? <laughs> <laughs> I know you. Do you probably have one? Don't you have one? Are you an Apple person? Not, not a big one. Uh-oh, you're an Android person. We gotta the, go. The iPhone in 2007, which is, I mean, it's a cult following. I even had a discussion about this the other day. There are people who are religious about this. They will not have another type of phone. That's all the broadcast for today. Thanks for joining us. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program.